Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation from the Small Group Network, focusing on topics relevant to small groups ministries. Whether you're in a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a volunteer or staff, we want to support, encourage, and equip you to lead well. So relax and listen to today's program. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda, your host and part of the leadership team at the Small Group Network and the Small Groups Pastor at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Today, we have a special episode as part five of our series of podcasts related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll be talking in a few minutes to a clinical psychologist and church ministry leader on what you and your group leaders can do to protect your mental health and to thrive emotionally during this very difficult time. We'll also talk about what your group leaders need from you, as well as what your members need from their group leaders. So if you are a regular listener, you'll notice that we have suspended our usual group talk topics for now to bring you real-time, practical, helpful information during this unusual time in our country and our world. So if you've missed the previous four podcasts with Steve Glayton and Derek Olson, I encourage you to go back and listen to them, especially if you're trying to figure out how to do groups online. They can be really helpful. So I got to share a funny story about the Group Talk podcast from last week with Steve and Derek. That one was called, So You Launched Online Small Groups, Now What?, which is a great title. Um, there was someone in my church who is a newer small group member that I didn't know who sent that podcast link to his group leader. And he told his leader that he had just discovered this great new resource from Rick Warren and that his leader should listen to it. The leader then forwarded it to me to listen to as well. And it was pretty funny because neither the member nor the group leader had any idea that I host this podcast each month or that Steve Gladen is not Rick Warren. But in any case, I was really happy to hear that our Group Talk podcast is helping group members and group leaders in our churches. So by the way, you might want to consider sending this episode or perhaps a different one that might be helpful to your group leaders and forward that on to them. Well, with the coronavirus crisis upending life as usual, these past few weeks have been chaotic, confusing, and difficult, to say the least. We've been bombarded with all kinds of information. Our churches have been completely disrupted. Um, our services have had to move online, and we've been thrust by necessity into the role of online pastors, whether we felt ready for that or not. Given the shelter-in-place orders, we've quickly had to learn online platforms and equip ourselves and our small group leaders to adapt and move online so that they can continue to gather, pray, and fellowship with one another. In addition, for us personally, there's so much uncertainty about finances, health of family members, and of course, the challenges of having kids home all the time and becoming a um, homeschooler, even if you did not want to be one. So I don't know about you, but it's been a pretty stressful few weeks. So I'm looking forward today to getting some practical tips on how we as point leaders and our small group leaders can thrive and grow even in this very challenging season and press into what God has for us. My special guest for this critical topic is Dr. Susan Cha. Susan is a licensed clinical psychologist with 30 years of experience working in various settings, university counseling centers, hospitals, community mental health clinics, and she's currently in private practice specializing in depressive disorders, anxiety disorders, relational difficulties, and spiritual development. She's the author of Developing Restorative Connections, which is a manual for lay church counseling ministries. Um, In addition to her doctorate, she also holds a master's degree in theology from Fuller Seminary. 
and she's been leading the lead counseling ministry for the past decade, um, including support groups and small groups at her local church. So not only is Susan a wise expert in mental health issues, she's also passionate about ministering in the local church. And, and this is extra special for me, she's also my sister. Um, so I'm especially blessed to have her in my life and also glad that she could have this conversation with me. Thank you so much, Susan, for being with us. Thanks, Caroline. It's great to be here. Um, as a volunteer at my church, as a small group leader, and as a ministry point leader, I really value what you do and what you all do, um, all the listeners out there, because I know how important um, these roles are in sustaining a, a church body. Um, and I know you've been part of the small group network for a long time, and I think it's a wonderful resource. And, you know, it's, I have to say, it's really useful to have a psychologist for a sister, um, at least most of the time. And certainly <laughs> in these, these days of chaos, uh, it's been really helpful. So let's just dive in. I know um, you live in the Bay Area, which was one of the first hotspots in the United States um, for the coronavirus. And you've, so you're, community has been dealing with um, this just a little bit longer than some of the other parts of the country. And given all of the overwhelming and um, chaotic circumstances swirling around COVID-19, what are the most common emotional and mental issues that we um, as ministry leaders and small group leaders are likely to be experiencing? Um, yeah, we have been experiencing it a little bit longer than the rest of the country. And um, kind of ahead of the curve a little bit here. Um, I think that like most people, um, there's a lot of feelings of fear and disconnect and anxiety and confusion and just feeling powerless overall, um, which are all normal under the circumstances. And um, today in California, um, all of us, including all the ministry leaders are um, experiencing disruption in our routines, um, like having to be together 24-7 with our family and members, which has its, you know, ups and downs. Well, <laughs> and I think everyone was so excited in the beginning, and now it doesn't feel like snow day or a day off. Now it's just a grind. And um, especially moms, I think, um, stay home. Everyone staying home together and having to do school online for kids and set them up. Like, there's a lot of jokes online about being forced to be a homeschooler when they did not uh, plan for that. And so I think the challenges are, are real and it's getting more, I think, stressful maybe as time goes on. Yeah, I, I think that it's increasing our appreciation for teachers, especially. Yes. <laughs> yeah. In, in, um, so yeah, so adjusting to change or additional roles that we have to take on. Um, and uh, as well as remembering always, you know, when you're outside for essentials, like going to the grocery store and um, to pick up items in there to run errands, that you have to be six feet apart. I think to always be conscious of that and to be aware of it um, and to make that happen. I think all of these things can be really stressful um, and can lead to feelings that I described earlier. Yeah, you know, I read uh, recently an article that was so helpful. It talked about how we're all experiencing grief on some level. Um, and it went through kind of the stages of grief. And I was trying to think, okay, what are things we're grieving? Like, what are some losses that we're having? And the ones that immediately come to mind, because I have college kids and we keep getting emails from schools, is, you know, the graduations, there's no proms, there's no uh, weddings, funerals, there's all these big life stuff in addition to the day-to-day -day grief and 
of, you know, their um, people's hours being cut, people being laid off, um, a lot of uncertainty around that. Can you talk a little bit about um, the stages of grief maybe? And I know we're kind of familiar with it in a kind of layperson sort of way, or some of us are more involved with pastoral counseling and get that and how that plays into what we're experiencing. Yeah, I think there are a lot of losses. I mean, just beginning with just loss of our own space, mm. loss of our time, um, as well as loss of practical um, things like, you know, potential loss of jobs or actual loss of jobs, mm, yeah. you know, financial losses, uh, as well as uh, loss of control um, in just what this virus has done to how we experience ourselves and our relationships and our days. Um, and I think you can go through various um, aspects of grief, uh, like denial. I think in the beginning, as we were hit in the Bay Area, um, there was a lot of denial in terms of what this virus is and what it can do. And um, feeling like, you know, Young people, for example, felt immune. Oh, yeah, the beaches in Florida. Yes, we all saw those pictures. (laughs) So, um, yeah, there was a sense of kind of, you know, some of us may be invincible. And that's Mm -hmm. not true. Um, And uh, even if we're not in that particular population where we might have felt that it's not really not going to affect us, I think in general there's a sense of kind of denial over what this means. And then eventually kind of experiencing sadness as you're seeing what's happening, you know, as you're seeing in real time, uh, people that are affected uh, from a minor degree to, you know, death. And so experiencing sadness and anger, you know, could also be one of those feelings that's quite normal to experience during this time as well, Um, especially as it relates to various losses you might have that we all might have. It seems like maybe the overall theme for the, the whole thing I know you're going to touch on it later is just that whole um, loss of control or mm-hmm. you just can't make plans. I think that's what's really hard. Like we don't know when it's going to lift and that leads to all this uncertainty, which is a hard place for um, people, especially leader types like our listeners. It, that's even harder for us. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So do you think our role as leaders in churches um, impact how we experience these stressors and our or does it not um, impact it? Like, how are we more or less affected by all the other um, typical emotional responses? At one level, um, we're all human. So no matter our roles, we experience stressors in similar ways as one another, as everyone else. Um, at another level, being a leader in ministry certainly can impact um, how we experience these stressors in somewhat unique ways. Um, I'll start with the positive first. On a positive note, Perhaps we find comfort in knowing that God is sovereign and ultimately God knows what we're going through. Um, We trust that he walks with us in the midst of it and will help us get through it no matter what happens. Um, And as a result of that, perhaps we can take care of ourselves better spiritually and it can be more grounded during these unstable times, uh, which then helps us to affect others in positive ways. Well, that makes sense because obviously, well, presumably, I shouldn't say obviously, presumably, um, we have cultivated a deeper life with God that helps us to minister to others. Um, And if we have it, I think this actually will help us develop that more and lean into God more. So there is a faith component that is different, um, especially as 
you know, you lead others in the spiritual realm as well. And what's the potential negative side of having this additional uh, ministry role on top of kind of what we're dealing with? Yeah, um, unfortunately, there is a negative side. And I do find that church leaders sometimes can deny or minimize how we experience these stressors because we think we're supposed to be strong. Mm-hmm. And we define strength as um, a uh, projecting an image of being unaffected. Um, yeah, and that's not helpful, I think, to us or to anybody else um, to have that. But you also don't want like the leaders being, you know, running around like chicken little and being all freaked out and scared. Like you want leaders, whether it's church or um, our government leaders, we want to project that, you know, that that there's calmness, there's peace, there's um, there's security and faith in Christ. But at the same time, I feel like that's such a hard uh, tension to be like, yeah, this is affecting me too. Uh, but at the same time, be able to minister to others and not um, in a calm way. Like, I don't know, how do you, what's the best way to do that? Is it better to compartmentalize and just go, okay, when I'm in my ministry role, I will be this. And when I'm in my family role, I'll be that. Or is there a way to integrate those in a way that is helpful for people? I think what you said is a good integration just before the last bit where you talked about, you know, being able to talk from a genuine, uh, vulnerable, authentic place to say, hey, this is affecting me in this way. Um, and talk about some of the struggles, you know, you might have um, in your personal life. So talk about that and then at the same time talk about um, what it is that you're doing that might be helpful that they would also find helpful. So mm-hmm. we're shooting right an integrated place of um, not running around and looking really scared and being really scared, presumably again because of your faith in God, because of the groundedness um, and because of the spiritual disciplines that you continue to practice that you're in a place where um, there is an authentic sense of peace, but at the same time, there's external factors impacting that. And to admit that and to acknowledge that, I think is something that other people can um, relate to and appreciate. Um, And that would also go toward the next thing that I wanted to say that um, a lot of times those of us who are in leadership positions can focus more on um, taking care of those people that we're ministering to, that we easily can neglect our own mental, emotional, and relational needs, um, which, again, doesn't serve us, nor does it serve other people. So as we um, also take care of ourselves, part of taking care of ourselves is to not be in denial, not minimize, but to actually understand what we're going through, to be aware of our own thoughts and feelings, our own experiences, the positive and the negatives, and then be able to share that in a genuine way to others. Right. Okay. So I think that's a really important point that to be self-aware of what we're experiencing. And if we're really busy, um, this has been a crazy, busy season for me. And I know for a lot of our listeners, just adapting so many things, so many different roles, um, trying to care for more people than we typically maybe do. Um, and I think just serving and going, going, going um, makes us even less aware of what we're really experiencing. So what are some warning signs that we should watch out for in ourselves that would indicate that uh, we're not doing well emotionally? Um, and you know, we want to make sure that we stay emotionally, spiritually healthy. So are there some signs we should be looking for? Yes. And I love this question because if we pay attention to the warning signs, 
we can prevent uh, emotional and mental distress to a certain extent. Um, so in general, I think it's important to be aware of any changes in your normal habits. Um, for example, are you eating too much or too little? Are you sleeping too much or too little? Are you having disruptive sleep? And what I mean by that is are you experiencing insomnia or um, waking up quite a bit during the, the night and not be able to fall back asleep easily? Or are you waking up too early and not able to go back to sleep? So any of those ways in which your sleep is disrupted, pay attention to that. Um, have you been irritable? <laughs> I think yeah. that's pretty much everyone. <laughs> yes, there's been an increased spike in irritability. Um, yeah, and part of that is normal. And part of that, you know, if it's sustained over time and there's really no triggers for it in the moment, then that's something that's important to take note of. Um, if you're having any cognitive distortions, um, like all in on thinking, like from one end of the spectrum where we might deny that anything is wrong, to the other end of the spectrum where we think that everything is wrong, you know, and the sky's falling. Um, I think most importantly, look at your habits. You know, are you um, going back to or developing new dysfunctional habits, such as excessive screen time, which I'm hearing a lot from my um, students and my patients too, uh, that there's a lot of conflict around that with different people, um, i.e., uh, let's say teenagers using uh, uh, their electronics quite a bit. Um, so are you, are you actually spending too much time on screen? Um, I also have read that there's just increase in porn use during this time. Um, so dysfunctional habits like that or hoarding, which we are all hearing about as well um and are you doing tons of online shopping kind of somewhat addictively so these are just some examples of dysfunctional habits that you need to pay attention to um and uh, i would say that the side effect of some of these warning signs especially the latter parts that i just talked about kind of keep you isolated from others so that in and of itself is also detrimental to our well-being yeah, that's the isolating. I mean, we've this is unprecedented that we would quarantine the most of the country um, mm -hmm. and distance people from each other into their homes. So there's been a lot of tension lately on the dangers of isolation and the last few years about loneliness. A lot's been um, recognized about the harm that loneliness plays. So can you talk a bit about why isolation um, can be so potentially harmful to our emotional well-being? So as we all know, um, we are created to be in community. Um, and so social isolation is quite harmful to our well-being. Um, research has consistently demonstrated that social isolation increases the risk of illnesses, both physical and mental, as well as premature mortality. So for example, um, being isolated has been linked to be similar in health risk to smoking, um, to obesity, and to alcohol abuse. So, um, and also in the patients I've been seeing since the outbreak of COVID-19, for those who live alone and are more socially disconnected, there's been an increase in various um, symptoms of depressive and anxiety disorders, which is consistent with um, the research data. Yeah, so isolation makes everything worse. <laughs> Whatever conditions if you've had or can have, it'll just uh, make it more more difficult. Yeah, and the, and the opposite of isolation, like having social support has always consistently been right. shown to um, help and engender health, you know, mental and physical. So. 
that's why small groups matter. This is what we yeah. say in our, in our network. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to the positive side. So um, given that there are these warning signs, say we see this in ourselves and our loved ones, what are some practical tips you can share with us? Maybe five or six things on how we can um, do these simple things that protect our mental health and kind of put some healthier patterns in practice for this season. Yeah. So as we were just saying, I'll just start there first then. Um, stay physically distant, but socially connected via um, video chats, online meetings, phone calls. And I've been um, telling uh, my patients to do, try to do one-on-one, you know, mm-hmm. social connection as well as as a group. Because um, uh, both, I think, can be important and serve a uh, purpose to help us to stay healthy. Also, I think it's really important to set regular schedules. I've been saying this a lot too. To get up and sleep at similar times, regular times, um, you know, uh, if you're working from home, try to work during the normal, usual you know, office hours. Um, and for those uh, kids and young adults who normally would have been in school, to try to kind of keep that normal school hours to do the work that they need to do. Um, also part of setting regular hours is eating regularly and having regular devotional times, you know, spending time with God on a regular basis by reading the Bible, praying, um, singing, listening to praise songs, you know, having quiet times and things like that. Um, and even as you spend time with God, I think it's also important to, um, uh, to think about serving others, you know, volunteering your services in some way, especially if you can do it online. Like I was recently talking to a student because I also work as a college consultant on the side, so I've been meeting students online as well, and encouraging them to figure out how they can continue to volunteer through the online process um, or via phone calls. Um, to, to, for example, tutor students in this way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that we're finding that there's a lot that can be done online. Um, there was uh, somebody uh, who was looking at all the one another's in scripture in Acts, and we all camp out on the one another verses and had a list. I think this was posted on our Facebook page for the network of what things um, can you do that does not require physical proximity. And mm-hmm. it, it was a huge amount <laughs> of them can be done. They encouraging one another, they pray for one another. Um, you know, there's just so much it can be done. And even the gathering together, most of our groups are moving online and we're trying to facilitate that through different uh, platforms. And I'm finding my small group leaders are sending us pictures and it's so great to see initially they're like, oh, this is weird. And then quickly they adapt. Um, and now they're having fun. Now there's, you know, you see more of happy hours online, book clubs. I mean, there's still a lot more um, going on with it. And I think once we kind of accept that this is going to be the norm for now, that right. it's it's easier than to find ways to connect or figure out um, whether ways to serve other people. Um, I think yeah. earlier too, uh, when we were offline, you were talking about important is to create an environment in your home that's comforting and comfortable. Um, yes. what, whatever size home you have. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, uh, it's one of the things that I recommend people do is wherever you spend a lot of time in your day to create a space that feels connecting and peaceful, that um, engenders gratitude. For example, as we're talking, I'm surrounded by pictures of my family, immediate and extended family members around me, um, and I'm so thankful for them, you know. And um, I have some Bible verses that are on me as well. Um, 
especially there are a few that are hand lettered by my daughter who likes to do hand lettering. And, and that's very special and meaningful to me. I see the thank you cards that I've received. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these things are um, objects that are meaningful and that engender connection and peace and gratitude. And so I think if you can create that kind of a space right. at wherever you are, in your room, um, in the house somewhere, um, that I think is also helpful to um, protect you know, our mental health. Yeah, um, the kind of just be a place where you could take a deep breath and just feel kind of more yeah, settled. Yeah. Um, oh, I want to make sure I mention also to limit watching and reading about yes. coronavirus. Um, <laughs> I think, I think uh, some of us are really consumed every day um, watching and reading about what's happening in our own community, but also in our in our country as well as globally. I think it's important just to know enough to stay safe. So. Um, Hearing from the experts, like on CDC, for example, or your county or city's health department sites, for guidelines is important, but not to do too much beyond that because it can totally increase one's anxieties when you do too much. Uh, well, and everybody's an expert, so it's very hard to filter out <laughs> what people are saying. I get texts from you know someone who knows a nurse, who knows um, someone at the CDC, and then on on Facebook now there's like you know here's this causes it, this doesn't cause it. I mean, there's so much misinformation and overinformation. Right. I think when we don't have control, we just kind of like gobble that stuff up. And I found um, in the beginning, I was so saturated with it. And I realized this is not healthy. This is not no. good. So lately, um, just I've been trying to filter what I'm hearing through uh, the Philippians four eight uh, grid of you know whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, excellent, pure, exact, exactly. So I've been trying to be better about what comes in because I realize I'm in a more fragile state with yes. all of this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to protect um, and not watch it. So I've been limiting. Uh, my time to just uh, three times a day and I'll give myself, you know, 15, 20 minutes to catch up on the news from sources I trust. Um, right. And then, and then I'm trying to not look at it and certainly not first thing in the morning or last thing at night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the timing of it can vary depending on what works for each person, but yeah, that's great. I think really the main message is to limit it um, so that it doesn't cause more anxiety than, than, um, you need, you know, you already have some already, right. you know, to begin with at this one. So we don't need to keep adding to our anxieties here. And then the last thing I do want to say in terms of a um, practical tip to try to ensure some physical and mental health is to go outside. If you can, if there's sun in uh, the place that you're at, where you live, to soak it up a bit about at least, you know, 10 minutes to be out in nature. Research has consistently shown also that um, if you're out in nature, if there's green, if you're looking at trees, that it can really help you to feel uh, a sense of awe. And I think for us as Christians, there's a sense of, you know, being immersed in God's creation helps us to stay connected more with God too. Right. Um, and to be thankful, you know, uh, for what we see, for what we can enjoy, you know. And of course, with that, being outside is... Um, if you can walk, you know, do some sort of exercise, indoors or outdoors. Um, but there's also research indicating that if you're uh, exercising outdoors and in nature, that that has more of an impact than uh, when you exercise at home inside. So, um, yeah, if at all possible, you know, if the weather permits, to be able to go outside. 
and spend some time in your front yard, backyard, neighborhood park, as long as there aren't tons of people knowing about. Uh, and keep, you know, of course, six feet apart. <laughs> right, right. That's what we've been doing on our, our walks and <laughs> just waving yeah. from across the way. Um, let's talk real quick about distractions like Netflix or YouTube videos or um, some some things that normally would be guilty pleasures. People are home more now than we've ever been. Um, the screens are on a lot more and there's a need for distractions. So what do you think about that? Like, is it okay to be spending lots more time than we typically would on um on you know Netflix, or should we be limiting that, or does it matter what we're watching, or how does that work? Um, I think it depends on what you're watching, how much you're uh, spending watching things, and how you're watching. Um, so those three variables, I think, uh, impact whether it's a healthy practice or not. Um, so, for example, if you're watching content that increases your anxieties, like we were talking about earlier, or leaves you feeling guilty or ashamed, that's not healthy. And so um, that I would avoid. Um, on the other hand, if you're watching programs that are encouraging and uplifting, that might be beneficial. Um, also, if you're neglecting your work and your connections with God and other people due to watching too much, like, you know, we are talking about isolation earlier, mm -hmm. that would be unhealthy. Um, but if you're watching with family members or having a movie night online with your friends, which I know some of my students do. Yeah, uh, the, um, yeah the watch parties are really yeah, popular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that can help to mitigate, you know, the distress and the stress working in. So um, in general, uh, distractions like Netflix or YouTube videos, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. It's what you do with that medium is what I'm trying to say. And then also distractions are a relatively positive way to cope here and there, especially on a temporary basis. Uh, when kept to the guidelines I just mentioned. Um, oh, and one question that I get um, a lot is, well, how much is too much? You know, I was talking about excessive screen time earlier and um, like how much time you're spending watching is one of the things you need to consider as a factor. Um, I, I would say in general, about two hours per day of screen time. <laughs> yes, I know. Most people apparently are spending seven, nine hours a day. Um, and I'm counting, you know, phone, computer, uh, tablet. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's realistic, and especially because um, of this kids' school school screen time. You're yes. talking so, just leisure screen time. Yes, I'm talking about. Thanks for clarifying that. I'm talking about leisure screen time. Oh, okay, yeah. screen time that's necessary for work. Okay, uh, so yesterday I just binge watched with my um, college daughter four hours of a reality show, which <laughs> was so funny, and neither of us thought about COVID-19 for four hours, so I feel like that was worthwhile. <laughs> well, fine, yes, and this is where I said, you know, I mentioned the three factors, right? One of them is how you're watching it. If you're watching together with family members and having a wonderful time laughing, laughter is a wonderful medicine. Yeah. Um, and this is endorphins. It's great. So if you're watching it that way, then you can modulate the time frame. But um, yeah, so take it with a grain of salt, you know, in terms of the time frame. I just have to mention it because it's one of the questions that come up often. But um, yeah, modulate it with, you know, what you're watching, how much, uh, how you're watching. Right. You know? Right. Um, yeah. That's and good. the purpose of the question, too, I guess, yes. Yeah, whatever you can do in community, do it together. It's kind of the yeah. key. Um, yeah. Which would be our small group's motto anyway. Uh, yes. Okay, so let's shift gears for now. So our listeners are mostly small group um, point people, and we also want to serve our groups well. So let's talk uh, about how can we best serve our small group leaders? Uh, what do our leaders need from us and from their church during this time that we can provide? 
Um, yeah, as we're talking about connectedness, I think that really it's important to reach out, especially to those who are more vulnerable. And obviously what I mean by the vulnerable population you all know is the elderly, those with immune-compromised um, issues, as well as those who are at risk for mental health conditions. Um, and those would also be the ones that are socially isolated that are among mm-hmm. um, through reach out through phone or text or video calls. Um, and I really want to emphasize the importance of listening mm-hmm. when you reach out. Um, so kind of going sideways for a second and doing a mini uh, communication one-on-one talk here, but um, please listen to your small leaders stories by sort of reflecting their experiences, helping them feel supported and cared for from where they are. So um, really encourage um, all of us to be more empathic and compassionate to their distress. Ask questions of how they're doing, what they might need. Um, if a group leader is having a particularly difficult time because of what's happening in their own lives or in maybe in the lives of one of their members, that they're finding particularly stressful, um, make more time to meet with them, quote unquote, you know, to provide the emotional support they need right. um, to continue to care for those under their, you know, uh, ministry, their leadership. Yeah, so I, it seems so important. Basically, if you know your leader, you kind of will have a better idea of what you what they need. Um, but also, this is a great opportunity for us to get to know our leaders better um, and to spend more time. And they seem more willing to talk. I think um, I've been making a lot of calls to people in our congregation mm-hmm. and to leaders. Uh, our church is in the process of physically calling everyone, um, and that's over 10,000 people. And so it's been interesting to see how they're more open, um, our congregation, to talking and sharing. So I think that's a really good point to acknowledge what they're experiencing. And then mm-hmm. also to just, it communicates care, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that is one of the most important um, um, things that you can do for someone is to communicate care. Um, to know that they matter, to know that you're praying for them and that you're there for them, just that you are there, you know, um, and meeting them where they're at the way that Jesus did in his ministry. Right. And then also, too, I think some of our leaders probably do have practical needs and to ask if yes. they have that because they're less likely to ask for help. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe just to offer whatever practical things your church has that can um, help them, whether it's food or errands or um, doing, you know, uh, praying for them, praying with them. Right. And then I also think that it's important to remember that there are resources out there too, you know, mm-hmm. so provide other resources that they might need, particularly for mental health services. As many of us who are in the field, um, providers are continuing to see patients via secure telehealth methods. So um, to have those resources handy to actually offer to the leaders so that they can take care of themselves and or their group members. Yeah, I, I think um, back to, you know, if you if someone does need pastoral counseling, I think to continue to sh- uh, share resources from your church or from your community. And I'm glad that mental health is an essential uh, function, so it can continue mm-hmm. to be operating. But you probably yeah. already have, our listeners probably already have, know uh, what resources are available for different things and to continue. Ministry doesn't stop because we're quarantined, so right. to, to keep doing that. And I, I can't emphasize enough, I really think it's it's to know what it is our people are dealing with and then to tailor it so that it's not like a one-size-fits-all, right, for every right. leader, every person, but to tailor it for them. And we had the coolest thing happen earlier um, last week 
when the quarantine happened for our community and our special needs pastor, um, she's incredible and she knows her people really well. And there was a, spe- a family affected by special needs with a little girl and um, she was having a really hard time. And these families affected by disabilities are really struggling in another deeper level because all of the respite care and the social services that they typically get, all of that has been shut down. And so they're with their um, their caregiver, their parent, uh, 24-7, and it's it's providing a really big strain. And so these families especially need their church and care. And so she had um, talked to one of a parent of this little girl, and the parent was sharing how hard it was to keep her occupied and just how sad she is and um, just how difficult their day has been. And so uh, my friend uh, put uh, her whole family, her kids, in um, her minivan, drove by, and did a drive-by cheer-up. Um, and got out of the van into the street, and she uh, put on a blasted worship music out of the car, and they danced to this little girl's favorite worship song with the girl watching through the window of her door. Um, and you could just see just her light up, and they had such a great time. And what a witness for the people on the street to go, what is going on over there? Um, but she knew what this little girl needed and what this family needed, and she kind of yeah. thought outside the box for that. Yeah, that's such a lovely story. And I think um, I see application of um, what you just showed us, you know, mm-hmm. in history, um, in what uh, your friend did, in terms of really knowing right. their, their people, her people, and then providing in a way that would help them to feel cared for, you know, for each person that may be different and to it fit right in with what her members needed and to provide in that way. Um, it's a very creative and a unique way to serve. Um, and I bet they had fun doing it too. Oh, they you did. Know, they had a blast. Yeah. Earlier we talked about serving others and volunteering. I think um, a lot of times psychological research tend to prove what we've been saying as Christians and, and ministry leaders. Um, right. For example, I think, um, you know, serving others has been one of the main uh, keystones of, you know, being in the church and being part of the church body. Um, And psychological research demonstrates that when we do volunteer our services and when we care for others in this way, especially without expecting anything in return, that that really impacts our mental health and physical health in very positive ways. It buffers any stressors, too. So they're living out, I think, what Jesus showed us. So that's really cool. Yeah, I I think part of the challenge for us as uh, the ministry point leaders is that as we talk to our small group leaders and try to equip them to care for their members well, um, you know, is there anything different we should be training them towards? Or is it pretty much the same thing that um, we would be needing to do with our leaders is what they need to do with their members? I think that what you do is, you know, pastors and uh, directors of ministries and what we do is, you know, leaders in the church. Um, is similar to what we ask our uh, leaders to do for their members. Um, But at the same time, I think that it would be really helpful to encourage members to care for one another as, you know what, people are gifted in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, for example, um, where the Holy Spirit gifts everyone in different ways to help the body for the common good. Now to survive, but to really thrive. Um, so uh, I'd like to think of it as three A's. As um, 
kind of a way to um, help ourselves as well as we help other people. Um, number one is to acknowledge that we're struggling too. Um, so acknowledge. And number two is ask for help by identifying what the needs are and the resources of the members who might contribute in different ways. So for example, if a member is gifted in technology, you can ask that person to help set up online meetings. Because um, there are a lot of people who are not sure how to do this and have never done it, mm -hmm. you know, to be helpful in that way. If another member has more financial resources, perhaps that person can send a meal, um, you know, to somebody in the group. So it's not just up to the small group leader to do everything, but to encourage their body, their group members to support one another. So it becomes a team. It's a small, you know, body of price right there. Um, and so that would be number two, ask for help. And then number three would be accept help when offered. So when members are saying, you know, this is something that I can do. Um, I'd like to do this. Can I help you in this way to be able to accept it? Right. I think there's this myth and um, we typically say, you know, everyone um, plays a role in the group. So they own the group together and it's not all on mm -hmm. the leader. But a lot of times groups do default into looking towards the leader to yes. provide um, everything. And the leader wants to serve. And so they kind of fall into it too and that pattern. So this is a really good time to reset that pattern and say, hey, I'm overloaded with stuff too. And I'm going to be vulnerable and say, this is a hard season for me. Um, mm -hmm. I and so can, you know, someone else help with certain things um, and then to, to do it. I like that. So it's acknowledge, ask, and accept. Um, and that's probably true for the people listening as well as for us as we train our, our leaders and remind them that they don't have to do it alone. Um, right. And also, obviously, they can turn to, you know, the, um, the ministry point leaders for assistance as well. So we're always yeah. usually saying that. So it's kind of like what we've been preparing for all along, we've been telling leaders all along, but just uh, even emphasized more because we're all um, in, a, in a higher state of, of stress and just kind of coping right now. So there's more of a need for it. Yeah. Um, and I just want to emphasize too that uh, the silver lining in what we're experiencing um, during this really uh, scary and anxiety-provoking and difficult time is that we can use this time to reset. There may be a lot of things that's happened um, that in the past that might be dysfunctional, that might not be the, the best patterns you want to set for your life. Well, now we have a lot of things are upended, so you might have to use this time. You can use this time to sort of reset mm -hmm. and to begin kind of or continue again, restart, you know, right. a different way of being together that's healthier. Yeah. I just, uh, I just heard um, a friend of mine at church talking about how, you know, we all start our Bible reading plan in January and mm -hmm. then we kind of fall off when it hits like Exodus Leviticus, so I fall off around yes. March. And so um, now he said, you know, I have more time than ever. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to restart that. Um, maybe I can read more. They can be in God's word more. Um, I've been seeing more people are sending scripture to one another, uh, sending worship songs. I've been sending funny memes. I think there's just a lot of different ways that people feel um, cared for. And on the spiritual side, how we can help people, you know, obviously prayer is number one because God can do what we can't. But how do you feel about kind of sending spiritual um, tools to people? Um. 
I think that in general, they're great. Um, it's a reminder for people to pay attention to their spiritual well-being too, not just the emotional and the physical. So, And I believe that all three go together, um, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional. And, um, and so I think it is good. However, I do want to have a caveat that, um, you know, um, again, kind of going back to Jesus as a model for what we do, is um, Jesus knew the people that he was ministering to very well. And he then, from there, met them where they were at. So keeping that as a model for us, I think for some people, maybe, quote-unquote, throwing scriptures at them may not be the most helpful, and they might actually feel a disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that a lot from um, people in the community, as well as you know some of my patients who are Christians, um, that sometimes that doesn't really meet them where they're at, and they end up, actually leading them to feel even uh, more upset in some way and more in distress. And so to be wise about, you know, when to use scripture, when to use praise songs um, as an offering to um, help, to support with some people. So timing of it can matter. Um, Knowing your people, it can also matter um, to what's, you know, engendering health. Um, and what doesn't so yeah that's that's a good word yeah so it really is about caring for what um, they might need in the situation so mm-hmm. um, well this has been really helpful and I feel so much calmer especially because you've been using your therapist voice on me <laughs> instead of your typical uh, sister voice so uh, I feel very calm now but is before you go is there any final thoughts you'd like to share um, yeah so a uh, couple final thoughts. One is to, um, you know, work on shifting our paradigms of what's normal um, and modulate expectations to fit with the evolving circumstances. I think that's really important to be able but to... By modulating expectations, you're saying in English, just face reality and adjust your attitude. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for translating that. Um and that if I, if it's okay, I'd like to take another minute to close with um, what I've been meditating on quite a bit and, and being reminded of often during the sure. Um sure. And it's the serenity prayer. There's lots of different versions out there, but this is the version that I really like. So is it okay if I were to... Yes, of course. That? Okay. Um, and I'm going to be using probably my therapist voice for sure on this. <laughs> I do this sometimes with my Christian patients. Um, God, give me grace to accept the serenity of things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right, if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Wow, that second part is so powerful and not one that we typically hear. Um, I'll post this prayer for our listeners on our show notes so you can have this version um, as well. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, maybe this is a prayer I think would be good to pray, especially in this season, um, probably anytime, but especially now. So thank you so much for um, being on the program and giving us your time and your wisdom. 
Um, if you have any questions for Suzanne, you can actually email her. She's gracious made herself available, and that's uh, Dr. D-R-S-O-H-C-H-A at gmail.com, Dr. S-O-C-H-A at, at gmail.com. And also, if you have questions after this uh, uploads on our Facebook page, feel free to uh, write in your comments or to Facebook message me directly, and I will forward them to her and get you an answer or response. Um, and hopefully, there'll be a lot of good interactions on that page. So, um, Susan, thank you so much, and God bless you and your ministry. Thanks, Karen. It was my pleasure to spend time with you. Um, hope this was helpful. And just uh, last night, I just want to encourage all of you, um, all of us, during this time more than ever, to um, take care of yourself, even as you take care of others. Um, stay safe and healthy. Be well. Thanks. Yes, we need to take care of ourselves so we can care better for others. That's a really good reminder. So thank you all for listening to Group Talk. Until next time, remember, we are better together. Hey, Small Group Network family. Jason Banzoff here, Group Talk producer and Small Group Network creative arts director. Thank you so much to Carolyn and Dr. Susan Cha for that great, timely interview. Now, while social distancing is a thing, social media closeness allows you to get all the social interaction you need. So while being stuck inside, I have something great for you to check out. If you are on Facebook, join our dynamic Facebook group community that has now surpassed 4,500 members and gleaned from thousands of small group ministry ideas, interactions, questions, and answers found there. Just go to the search bar on Facebook and search for the small group network. I absolutely love this group. It's been crucial for my development as a small group point person, and I have made so many ministry friends by being part of this group. Make sure you check it out today. Thank you so much for joining us on Group Talk this week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you enjoy this program, please take a few minutes to give us a positive rating on iTunes so that other small group point people can find us more easily. We encourage you to visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com to access our library of free resources, connect to a huddle with other small group ministry leaders in your area, read our blog articles, or join us on our Facebook group. Don't forget to use the hashtag SGNet when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.